Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of 1 Samuel, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 20. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read beginning in verse 1. Then David fled from Niath and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? Is it not so? But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you, if I knew that it was determined by my father that harm would come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out to the field. So they both went out to the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on this side, take them. Then you are to come, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. 
And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty, and Saul said to Jonathan, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot the arrows beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrows that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went to the city. In this chapter, we see David escaping from Niath and Ramah and going to Jonathan and asking Jonathan, What's going on with your dad? Why is he trying to kill me? And Jonathan assures him that his dad has sworn to him he's not going to take David's life. So David explains to him what he's been experiencing, and they come up with a plan to determine whether or not Saul plans to do David any harm. The result is that Saul reveals to Jonathan that he does plan to kill David, and so Jonathan lets David know and tells him to flee. And the thing that stands out most in this chapter is the friendship between Jonathan and David. There's a famous quote by Samuel Taylor Coleridge that says in part that friendship is a sheltering tree. And we can see in this chapter the friendship between Jonathan and David is just that, a friendship that protects both of them. And I think if we look closely at the things that go on in this chapter, we can learn how to be a true friend. One issue that seems to be prevalent in our society today is that people often don't consider you a friend if you ever oppose them or tell them no. But here in this chapter, we see David challenging Jonathan in his understanding of the circumstances. 
and comes up with a plan so that Jonathan can come to understand what he knows, that Saul is trying to kill him. If we're truly going to be a friend to someone, we have to be willing to challenge their assumptions, to challenge some of their decisions so that they can make choices that are in their best interest. In the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the writer there says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Sometimes the right thing takes a little bit of effort or thought on our part, and we need people in our life who are willing to challenge us to do those things. Another aspect of a true friendship is trust. David and Jonathan had made an oath to one another, and they trusted each other completely. That's why David was willing to wait on Jonathan to do his research, and why Jonathan was willing to accept the challenge from David. They both knew that the other would never intentionally do anything to hurt them, so they could trust what was being said and done. They could trust their lives to the other. Scripture has a lot to say about being trustworthy. One place is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 29. It says, Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. If someone's put their trust in you, don't do anything to break that trust. Also in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13, it says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. When we find someone we can trust, we can share the deepest, most intimate part of our lives. But if we're afraid that information will be used against us or be used to slander us, we'll keep that in. And we may miss out on the opportunity to get good advice that keeps us on the path that God wants us. A good friend will also protect. Both David and Jonathan are trying to get to the bottom of things, but neither one is willing to put the other in harm's way. They come up with a plan that will protect both of them, and they find a way to communicate with each other that keeps either one from getting in trouble. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, we read, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. We need to take care of each other. It's in those relationships that we experience the love and peace of God. Friends also communicate, and sometimes close friends are able to communicate without even talking directly to each other, knowing what's on each other's minds. David and Jonathan have very strong communication between them. They're able to say anything to each other in an effort to figure out what's best. In the New Testament, we're challenged to communicate with others the way Jonathan and David communicate with each other. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. It's very important that we can be honest about our feelings and our thoughts and the way we perceive things going. We certainly need to be able to do that in a spirit of love and not do it in a way that puts others on the defensive. But a good friend will allow us that opportunity and will in return communicate things back that we need to hear. A good friend will also warn us. They'll let us know if we're about to get ourselves into trouble or if someone is intending to do us harm. If we want to be a good friend, we've got to be able to communicate those warnings. The problem is sometimes we're afraid that it won't be well received, and that will damage the relationship, so we end up keeping our thoughts to ourselves. But if we're genuinely a friend of that person and worried about what's in their best interest, we'll make sure we give them warnings when we see potential problems. 
In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. It's important that we be able to exercise the wisdom that God's given us, that we allow that wisdom to be cultivated in our lives so that when we have opportunity, we can offer good advice and potentially keep our friends out of serious trouble. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in gentleness. If we care about the well-being of other people, we'll want to see them have success and get things right. And when we see trouble on the horizon, we'll be willing to warn them. But notice I said, we'll warn them if we really care. That means if we're going to be a good friend, we have to actually care about others. Far too often, we find ourselves in a relationship where our primary concern is how they treat us, not what we can offer them. Jesus tells a story about a man who was attacked by robbers and people who should have cared about him. A priest and a Levite walked by on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan, a man who had no reason to help this guy, came along and saw him and had compassion. He cared about this guy because of the situation that he was in. And we're told in Luke chapter 10 that he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. If we're going to be a good friend, we genuinely have to care about the other person and not only what that person can provide to us. And to be able to do all of these things that have been mentioned, we have to have the capacity to understand Understand the mindset of our friend, the circumstance they're in. Understand our own limitations and what we can provide and be able to communicate those. We, we have to have an understanding. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul says here, when you speak to people, they should feel like you're doing them a favor because you're building them up. And he throws in that line as fits the occasion. In different circumstances, it's going to look different. It's going to sound different. There may be a different tone. There may be different words used, but there's an understanding of what's going on and you're willing to do what's best. David and Jonathan had a deep understanding of each other. And as much as they cared about each other, they understood that they were going to have to separate. That's what was best. And so they encouraged one another. They built each other up and promised to protect each other as long as they were able. You may be asking yourself, why is this even important? It sounds like a lot of work, and I don't always like people. They can be very annoying. They can be a barrier to me getting what I want. Why is it important for me to learn to be a good friend? Well, several passages in Scripture speak to the importance of friendship. One is in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. It says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The preacher writing there says, work's easier and more productive when we have friends. If we want to get the most out of this life, we can't do it alone. We need to be in community. And those communities are strongest 
when we're friends with its members. Also, when you're a friend and have friends, you're never alone. Loneliness can be one of the most overwhelming emotions that we experience. But Proverbs 17.17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. There's always someone with us when we have friends. But being a friend and having friends also allows us to hold each other accountable, to make sure that we're making the most of our opportunities, to make sure that we're not slacking or getting off course. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. We need friends to be able to do that for us, to hold us accountable, to make sure that we stay on the path that God has prescribed for us. God never intended us to live this life alone. He expected us to have friends that would get us through. He expected us to be a friend to those folks to help them get through. When we learn from the example of Jonathan and David, we learn how to develop a friendship that is a sheltering tree. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.